Okay, so Brother Jerry's been preaching on uh, thoughts, how the enemy controls us and destroys us with our thoughts. And he's been preaching on um, how to control your thoughts. Well, my gift is not preaching. My gift is teaching. And so what he asked me if I would do would be to go to the Word of God and get some of the strongest scriptures on thoughts. And to uh, share those scriptures. And this is what I did last week in Camden. And so then Cricket called me and asked me if I would come down here today. And so I'm just going to give you some of the best scriptures in the Bible on how to control your thoughts. See, exactly where you are in life is because of your thoughts. Everything you have ever done, you thought about it. Actions follow thoughts. So where you are in your life. You're exactly where you are because of what you thought. Uh, me too. All of us. And so if we can get control of our thoughts and think the right thoughts, everything in our life will begin to improve. In Philippians 2, 7, it said, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to say this phrase a whole bunch of times this morning. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He being, for, he being in the form of God, he was God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But this is what his thought was. He made himself of no reputation. And see, this is a huge battle with people. They want to be somebody. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to be a big somebody. They want to be big, the boss at the home. They want to be the boss on the job. They want to be the boss in the church. You know, they want to be, have a big reputation. Well, see, Jesus, that was not, that thought wasn't in him. He did not want a big reputation. In fact, if you remember when he'd heal people, he'd say, don't tell anybody I did this. Don't tell anybody. And that would go right opposite of what we think. We think that he'd want everybody to know. So everybody come to him. He'd say, don't tell people. Because, see, he did not want a big reputation. What he wanted to do was the will of his father. He wanted to do what God had sent him on earth to do. And he knew that once people found out he could work miracles, he would not have a minute of peace. See? And he wanted to do what the father sent him here to do. And he took on the form of a bond servant or a servant. See, our mindset's got to be, I don't want to be a big body. Uh, no, I don't want to be a big somebody. I don't want to, I'm not going to put my name out. There was a preacher in Camden several years ago that he went around and put, blowed up this big picture of himself, put it on uh, all, in all the stores and everything, and this huge picture. And had, right underneath it, little bitty words, it had the name of his church, you know. So let me tell you where that preacher is now. His wife ran around on him. He lost his church. He's a total, his life became a total disgrace because he was trying to make his own reputation. See, don't have that mind in you. Don't, have you ever been in a meeting with people that you couldn't get a word in to because their opinion was the only one that mattered? <laughs> they wouldn't let nobody else have an opinion, wouldn't let nobody else say anything. And if you didn't take their advice and listen to their opinion, they had no time for you. See, that's trying to make your own reputation. And you can't have that mind in you and have the mind of Christ. And you've got to have the mind to serve. You don't come to church and sit on that pew and say, serve me. You don't do that. If God's called you to this body of believers, he called you here to do a job. We're all sent here to do something. 
for Jesus. If not, he would have taken us on to heaven when we got saved. And see, so you don't come in here and plop down and say, serve me. Cricket, serve me. You come in and you say, Cricket, what can I do to serve the body of Christ? You should be the first one here picking up and cleaning up and straightening up. You should be the last one to leave picking up, cleaning up, straightening up. After the people, the lost people that God's going to bring here to be ministered to. We're to serve the lost that comes in here. And that they need to find God and they need to see a group of people that love God more than anything. And that we're here to serve them. We're never too good to serve. You know? I I hate people that just want a big title. And they don't want to do anything. Being a pastor, I met a lot of those kind of people. They want you to give them a big title, and, and you can't get them to do nothing else. Nothing else. They think it's above them. Well, see, let's have this mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. We're making ourselves of no reputation, and we have come to serve. See, God's thoughts are higher than I thought. our thoughts, the Bible says. He can do super abundantly above anything we can ask or think. And we can ask for some pretty good big things, can't we? We can think of a lot of big things we want God to do for us. He can do greater than what we can think. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, It is written, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Is that you? But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. So if we get into the presence of God, he can start putting into our mind all these wonderful things that he wants to do for us. Way more than we can imagine on our own. He can put all these wonderful things into our mind that he wants to do for us. You'll find them in the word here. And then he will carry them out if we had that bind in us that was in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who knows the mind of the Lord to instruct him? Nobody. But we have the mind of Christ. How do we get the mind of Christ? When you got saved and Jesus came into your heart and the Holy Spirit came in, you have the mind of God. But what happens is we allow our thoughts to steal the thoughts of God out of our mind. And we give ourselves over to Satan's authority by thinking his thoughts. Thinking sad thoughts and thinking sad thoughts and thinking God can't do this thought and thinking how dare that person talk to me like that thought and how dare cricket talk to me like that or how dare him not give me the job I want you know and see then we give ourselves over to Satan's authority and we no longer have the mind of Christ we have the mind of Satan the only way we can have the mind of Christ is to have this word in our mind all right, so James, uh, Proverbs 23 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if we think angry thoughts, what are we? If we think sad thoughts, if we think mean thoughts, if we think... And, and the worst of all the thoughts are um, de- uh, deceived thoughts. Deceived thoughts. See, James 1.22 says, Be a doer of the word. And not a hearer only, deceiving your own self. So anything in your life you're doing that the Word tells you not to do, you're deceived in that area. Or anything you're not doing that the Word tells you to do, you're deceived. Perfect example are the Pharisees. They were the most religious people in the world. They knew the Word of God. They could quote the Word of God. 
and they killed God. A lot of church people are just like that. They can quote that Bible at you, preach it, I mean, beat you over the head with that Bible, you know, and act just like the devil all the time they're doing it. See, the Bible, Jesus told us to first love God and then love people. And any time that we do something that is not love towards someone, we're a Pharisee. We are deceived. Deceived thinking that we're right with God when we're hurting other people. See? Okay. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, this, this is the 16, 16 definitions of love. It does not behave unruly. It does not speak on its own, seek its own. It does not provoke, and it thinks no evil. Do you ever have an evil thought? See, if we have an evil thought, unfortunately, yes, we do. (laughs) If we have an evil thought, then we're not walking in love, and God is love. God, always remember, there's only two rules in God's kingdom. Love God with all your heart and love people with all your heart. That's the two rules. Everything else will fall in place if you love God with all your heart. And if you love, we have a little hole on our stage. And every time I preach, my heels fall in that hole. (laughs) If you love God with all your heart and love people with all your heart, everything else will just fall in place. See? Okay. So let's talk about the unstable mind. In James 1, 6, it says, if you need something from God, if you need wisdom to know anything or how to do anything, then ask in faith, but don't doubt. For if you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Don't let that man think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When you become unstable in one area of your life, The Bible says you're unstable in every area of your life. Uh, We have a Bible school in the Camden Church, and every year, every four years, we start a new class. It takes four years to graduate. And so we usually start out with about 30 or 40, and by the time we graduate, four years later, there's about 10 or 15. And so I have to constantly say, you are unstable. If God told you to join Bible school and you quit, you're unstable. And if you're unstable in this, you're unstable in all your ways. Your marriage is unstable. Your children will be unstable. Your job will be unstable. See, the only way to be stable is to have the mind of Christ. If Jesus tells you to do something, then you do it. You don't. Can you imagine Jesus getting up one day and saying, I think I'll go to the cross today. Then he'll get up the next day and say, no, I don't think I will. Can you imagine Jesus acting like that? Oh, I think I'll go to the Victory Church and then the next Sunday. No, I think I'll go to that church. Can you imagine Jesus having that kind of an unstable mind? Absolutely not. So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we've got to know what God tells us to do and do it. Follow it out all the way to the very end. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart for all generations. In other words, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to get up every day and tell you something different to do. Everybody in here, when you got saved, before you got saved, you were born onto this earth to do something for Jesus. Everybody in here. And you've got to know what that is, and you've got to get up every single day saying, this is what I'm going to do today. Jesus got up every day 
and pointed his face toward that cross. Nobody got in his way. Nobody stopped him. Nobody talked him out of it. Peter tried. Peter tried to talk him out of it. And he said, get behind me, devil. (laughs) When people try to talk you out of doing what you know God's put you here to do. And see, the thing about it is, seasons in life change. Like when when my children were all at home, I knew my calling was to raise those six children to serve God and preach the gospel. I knew that the minute I looked into their face when they were born. They were called to preach the gospel. So every day when I got up, that was my number one goal, to put the word of God into them and to whip the devil out of them. And I went to bed many nights crying, saying, God, there has to be more to life than whipping kids. I'm not joking you. I whipped kids all day long. I told them the first thing I heard every morning was Jeremy or Cricket would throw one of them out of the bed. Bam. They'd wrestle all day long. And the last thing I'd hear at night, the other one would throw the other one out of the bed. All day long. And India, my oldest one, she was too smart to directly disobey me. She got them to do all her dirty work. <laughs> and they got they got all her whippings. <laughs> but when my kids all grew up and left home, I had to get a new calling. See? That was no longer my calling. Now it's God's job to whip them when they need a whipping. <laughs> We're just buddies. We just hang out, you know? <laughs> But uh, seasons change, and sometimes our job descriptions will change. But the thing about it is we're always working for Jesus, doing what he tells us to do. And let me tell you, young people, something in here. Please don't ever think you're not going to enjoy being old. Being old is the greatest thing in life. I will be 70 next year. And every year my life gets better and better and better. You have more time. You have more money. You're not as stupid as I was when I was younger. I don't have to whip kids every day. I draw Social Security. No, no, I take that back. My husband draws Social Security. I get the big salary because he can't draw a big salary. And well... Probably not what you'd call a big salary, but what we'd call a big salary. <laughs> so when he started drawing Social Security, they switched salaries, gave me his salary, so he could draw Social Security, you know. So I get to boss him around. Not really. <laughs> but I'm telling you, everything is better when you're older except one thing. Every day when you get up, something hurts. And you've got to have great faith to speak to that pain and command it to leave. Every day you've got to speak to a pain and make it leave. <laughs> and you know what? If you're walking in submission, the devil will have to leave. You will have the authority to run him off every day. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about this mindset. Hope. The word hope means always expecting God to do something good. Every day. You get up expecting God to do something good for you today. How many of you know people that just live in that gloom and doom world? They're expecting something bad all the time. If, if it rains, oh, no, a tornado's going to hit my house. 
if they get in the car and crank it, I'm going to have a wreck before I get home. My kids are not going to make it. I mean, I can't pay my bill all the time. And if they can't, don't have a legitimate thing to worry about, they'll make up something. That is not hope. And the Bible said to rejoice every day in hope. Rejoice. Today when I get up, I know God's going to do something good for me today. I'm expecting it everywhere I go. I'm looking around every corner. God's going to do something good for me today. Because that is the mindset of Jesus. Jesus knew the Father was going to back up everything that he said and did. You know, when they came to arrest Jesus, he said, Don't you know I could call legions of angels to come and get me? See, the devil can't do anything to you unless you open that door and give him the authority. Okay, now let's talk about the battlefield of the mind. Isaiah 28 says, In that day the Lord of hosts, talking about when Jesus comes, will be our crown of glory and our diadem of beauty. He will be a spirit of justice to those who have to sit in justice, and he will be strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. See, your gate are your thoughts. This is where the battle is won or lost right here. The battle and won or lost when you go to work and that boss marks off to you. The battle is won right here when you've already decided what you're going to say when he smarts off at you. The battle is won when you decide what you're going to say when your mate says something to you that makes you mad. I told him last service. When, when my husband makes me mad, I don't open my mouth because I know every demon in hell will come out. So I'll sit there and don't talk. And he'll say, are you pouting? Are you blowing up like a bullfunk? I say, no, I'm holding my peace in the presence of the wicked. That's a scripture. (laughs) So you've got to already have your mind made up before you go into a battle, how you're going to handle that battle. You've got to have the mind of Christ to win every battle. No, I'm not trying to tell y'all I win every battle. <laughs> I told him in the last service, several years ago, we, y'all had a big speaker here at your church in El Dorado. And uh, he was preaching and the church was packed and he wanted to prophesy over the kids that were in kids' church. So he said, go get the kids out of the kids' church. So I go out this door, I go all the way around. I get about right there and a man meets me out there and he says, I'm going to go stay in children's church. I don't want the kids to come in there. <laughs> so I didn't dare open my mouth. I just spun around and walked back in here and said, Cricket, you have a problem. (laughs) You got a witch working in your church. (laughs) Rebellion is witchcraft. (laughs) And so needless to say, the children came in here and got prophesied over and the witch left the church. See, men can be witches too when they rebel. (laughs) And so I've learned, do not open my mouth when I'm mad. Because there's a lot of evil in there that will come flying up. I have to bite my tongue. So the battle is won in our mind. you got to decide ahead of time, what did Jesus do when that happened to him? What did Jesus do? I've spent half of my life going to the Bible and saying, Jesus, what did you do when that person did this to you? I remember one time we first got saved. My husband wanted me to do something I didn't want to do. And I didn't think it was right, and I didn't think I should have to do it. So I went to the Lord, and I said, God, Jesus, where did you have to submit to ungodly authority? (laughs) And, of course, everybody Jesus submitted to was ungodly authority nearly. (laughs) 
all the ever pastor in the church, you know, the Pharisees that were going to kill him, you know. Jesus even submitted to human parents who you know didn't do everything right. Is there any parent in here that done everything right? Well, Jesus had parents that didn't do everything right, but he submitted every time because he never sinned. <laughs> okay. I wanted to finish reading you that scripture because um, a lot of people don't know this is in the Bible. And I just wanted to read this to you. All right. He said, he will give strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. But, the next verse says, they have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink. They, have, they are turned out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They have, they're swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. You think he's trying to get a point across? <laughs> How many times did he say that? In a row. He said they err in their vision. They stumble in their judgment. For all their tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. So whom will he teach knowledge? Who is God going to teach knowledge to when all of the religious people are drunk? See, alcohol is a mind-altering drug, just like marijuana, just like uh, every other drug. You don't ever go in a beer joint and hear people speaking in tongues and worshiping God, right? When a person gets full of alcohol, what do they do? Cuss, fuss, fight. They're either a depressed drunk and everything is, woe is me. Or they're a mad drunk and they're picking a fight. See? And so you're not going to have the mind of Christ if you drink. You're going to have the mind of Satan because he will take control of your mind when you become intoxicated. And did you know, and I want you to look this up on the internet, if you think, oh, I just have one beer a day. One beer is the legal of, you're legally drunk. The alcohol in one beer, and you're legally drunk. Look it up on the Internet. One glass of wine, you're legally drunk. Because, see, back in Jesus' day, they didn't make their beer and their alcohol full of alcohol. They didn't make their drink. It was just rotten grapes, you know. Now they make it so full of alcohol that you can just have one beer, and you're already feeling it. See, the devil has already taken control of your mind. You will not have the mind of Christ if you drink. So I just don't want you to be deceived. Okay? A lot of people have quit the church in Camden because of this message. And I always tell them, there are plenty of churches you can go to in Camden that tell you it's okay to drink. But we are not one of them. <laughs> so there are plenty of churches you can go to in El Dorado and they'll tell you it's okay to drink. Victory Church is not one of them. Am I saying you will go to hell if you drink? Well, Jesus said... If you get drunk, no drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. See? So don't play that game. Oh, Jesus drank. Jesus never sinned. So if he'd have got drunk, he would have sinned. And you need to study your Bible. Look it up in the Greek and the Hebrew. Wine is the word for grape juice in the Bible. 
It's the same word, grape juice or wine, same word. So everywhere it says wine, you could, tr- you could just switch it out with grape juice. So study your Bible. Don't just believe what some demon tells you. Go ahead and get drunk. Jesus drank. Don't do it. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Okay. Psalms 24, lift up your heads, O you gates. The Hebrew word gates is the word thoughts. It's the same word, thoughts. And what the gates are the symbol of is authority in a city. The gate of a city is a symbol of authority. So when you allow the devil to control your thoughts, you have given the authority of your life to the devil, even though you may be saved. Because your actions are going to follow your thoughts. So if you don't give Jesus the authority of your mind by thinking his thoughts, then you're, you may be saved and you may make it to heaven. I'll read you that scripture in just a minute, but you're going to have a miserable life. A miserable. And you're sure not going to do what he put you here to do. Um, so lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the king of glory. Glory means everything good. Everything that is good is in the glory of God. Everything. So who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. So lift up your heads and lift up your thoughts to have the mind of Christ. All right, now then let's talk about the mindset when you're going through a battle. How many of you are really in the heat of a battle? That's pretty much every day, isn't it? (laughs) All right, so... Jesus, in John 12, he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? This is, when you're reading your Bible, you mark those things when Jesus said, Say this. It's life-changing. When he said, Say to this mountain, be removed and cast. How many of you speak to your problems and say, You are cast in the sea because Jesus said you are? Or do you whine about them? Tell everybody about them. All right. So he said, Father... He said, and what will I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. This is why I came to the earth for this hour. I came to earth for this very battle. He was going to go to the cross. If Jesus had been a two-year-old and thrown a temper to fit and said, this is too hard, I can't do this, none of us would be here. We'd all be lost. He wouldn't have went to the cross, and we'd have all died, went to hell. I know I'd have been dead a long time ago. I used to drive like a bat out of you know where. (laughs) And I would be in hell a long time ago if it hadn't been for the blood of Jesus. And so when you're in the midst of a battle, you don't start throwing a two-year-old temper tantrum. God, why did you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? Or blaming the person that's creating your battle. Kill them, God. What did Jesus say? Father, glorify your name. Did you know every battle you go through is screened by God? Unless your battle is created by a sin you committed. Now, if you've committed a sin that's got you into a battle, Jesus had nothing to do with that. That was all you and the devil. But if you didn't sin and you're in the midst of a battle, you know every battle Jesus fought was that kind. He never sinned. So none of his battles were created by his sins. So if you're in the midst of a battle and you didn't sin and open the door, then it's been screened by God because he said nothing will come on you that he can't deliver you from. So why is he letting you walk through that battle? Why? To glorify the name of God. 
When people see you walking through a battle and you're loving God and you're rejoicing God, it gives them hope that if you can do it, they can do it. And every time they see you win a battle, it gives them faith. If they can do it, I can do it. You know, that battle that Cricket and Jennifer went through several years ago, I think it was probably one of the worst battles I've ever seen a young married couple go through. And every time Cricket calls me and tells me something great that's happened, I say, spoils from your battle, Cricket. You, have the, you, you, you and Jennifer won the greatest battle I've ever seen anybody win, and you will get the greatest spoil of anybody I know. And so when you're walking through a battle, don't throw your hands up out like a two-year-old. Say, Father, glorify your name. You give me your thoughts of how to win this. You put the scriptures into my mind that I'll war with, and I'll win this. I'll win that mate that's not good to me. I'll win those children that don't want to live for you. I will win this battle if I have your thoughts. Uh, Hard times reveal who you really are. Not good times. When people are walking through good times, you know, everybody's looking at them saying, oh, I wish that was my life. But when they're walking through a hard time, everybody's looking at them and saying, I'm glad that's not me. First Corinthians 3 says, every person's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each person's work what sort it is. So, the fiery trials that we walk, walk through are proven whether we're doing what we're doing for God and whether we're doing it right or whether we're doing it to make ourselves a big reputation or to get self, you know, promote ourselves. And God's not in it at all. It'll be revealed by a fiery trial. See? So when you walk through trials, what you do is you go in that prayer closet and you get the mind of Christ. God, what do I pray over this battle? What do I pray over this battle? How do I see this right? You know. And, you know, the devil thought he could wipe the church out during COVID. And uh, one out of every ten churches in America closed during COVID. And the reason is, it's because, who's calling me during church? (laughs) And the reason is, is because... Churches couldn't pay their bills. They had to close their buildings. They couldn't pay their pastors. Pastors had to go get other jobs, you know. COVID was a real attack of the enemy. But the churches that were able to walk in faith and continue to be a church, what the devil's doing now is he's bringing in spirits of rebellion trying to destroy the church through rebellion. And these these little pockets of rebellion are just springing up Oh, my husband, those of you that know him know he's pretty much a lamb. But there's a lion in the lamb. I've always told everybody. Most of them don't ever see the lion, do they, Cricket? But Cricket and I know there's a lion. <laughs> you do not defy him when, when God's told him to do something. And so uh, last week, uh, we had a group of uh, somebody in the church that they went and did this thing a week ago. And he corrected them for it. So last week, they did it again, and they had a whole group of people in on it with them. He walked in that meeting, and he shut it down, and he said, not one ounce of witchcraft will operate in this church. Witchcraft will not operate in the Victory Church. Call that leader out right in front of his whole group. Now, most of you won't ever see that side of him unless you want to walk in rebellion. (laughs) 
If you decide to walk in rebellion, Cricket and I have seen it because we both walked in rebellion. We've seen that side. <laughs> but it, right now, the battle of the church is keeping rebellion out of the church because the devil's trying to destroy the church now through rebellion. He couldn't destroy it with COVID. So now he's going after all the weak links in leadership to get them to rebel against the head. And so I just want to say, have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Walk in obedience and you're always protected. First Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is about to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice that you get to partake in Christ's sufferings so that when his glory is revealed, you will be sad with extreme, you will be glad with extreme, exceeding joy. Can't get the word out. <laughs> so when we're going through a battle, the thing on the, if we do it with the mind of Christ, on the very other side is great glory. And what does glory mean? Everything good. All those prayers you've been praying will be answered. All those things you've been believing for, you'll see answers to them. When you go through a trial and you do it right, and you do it right, you do it with the mind of Christ, then when you get on the other side of that battle, you're going to be so amazed at all the things that just start happening in your life that you've been praying for. Things you've been believing for. I just want to give you all a great testimony. Cricket, can I give the testimony about the Camden Church, what you guys are doing? Do they know that? I can tell. Okay. We have really been battling in the Camden Church. We have gutted our church. Floors, walls, torn halls out. And we don't really have a construction crew in the Camden Church. We don't have one. Y'all are blessed. Y'all have several construction crews in the Eldorado Church. But all the people that work for us are not really professional carpenters or painters, you know. And so they've been helping us, but it's, it's just slow go, you know. So Cricket called last week. Jordan had gone up there money and walked through the building because everybody's saying, well, well, see, we're not back in our building. We haven't been back in our building in almost a year. And so uh, we've been in our amphitheater, partner, which we love it. And we have a little small group inside the youth room for our 60-plus. But uh, the whole church has not got to come back in the building yet. And so uh, he was, last Monday he was walking through the building, and there was so much to do. And he had no idea how we were going to get it done and get back. Because, you know, we go on sabbatical in July. We're semi-retired. And we take two months a year off. And we just go and pray and seek God and fish. <laughs> they go hand in hand. <laughs> you know, Jesus did some of his best praying in the boat. <laughs> but anyway, we knew there's no way to get it done by July when we left. We just, and he, my husband is a contractor. He knew it couldn't happen. And so he got, he, Cricket called him out of the blue. And I think Maurice had called Cricket or, anyway, Maurice's crew is going to start Monday morning finishing our church. And the Eldorado Church is paying for it. Did y'all know that? The Eldorado Church is paying for it. That's just unbelievable. Jordo came home and he was just like in shock of the goodness of God. It's just, it's really unbelievable that y'all would do that for us. And we just want to say thank you from the very bottom of our heart. Thank you, Cricket. Thank you, church, that you would do that for us. Y'all are just amazing. But see, when you go through a hard battle, 
And if you'll have the mind of Christ and do it the way Jesus did it, there's so much glory on the other side that it's worth it. It's worth any amount of suffering, any amount of pain, any amount of humbling yourself and going back and apologizing for what you've done wrong. It's worth it all. Because on the other side of the battle, it's the glory. You know that scripture at the first of the year, Jared, I said, this is the scripture the Lord gave him for the victory trade. This light affliction that we are going through is going to work a far greater weight of glory. And all we want to do is whine about our, our affliction we're going through in our battle instead of putting our eyes on the greater glory on the other side of the battle. Because it said, because we don't look at the things that we see, we look at the things we don't see. So all of you that are fighting a battle, you go and you get the mind of Christ. And you say, this is just a small thing compared to the glory that's going to be on the other side of it. See, God used y'all to bring glory into our, on the other side of our battle. And God will use somebody to bring glory on the other side of your battle. And so let's get the mind of Christ. Let's get our words and let's, every time you go through a battle, you go to the word and say, Jesus, how did you handle this? And you do it just like Jesus did and you will win every time just like he won and you'll get the glory.